evidence and answers. Did the Exodus actually happen? Most Near Eastern archaeologists believe it never did. Critics argue that this major event is not recorded in any Egyptian or Canaanite records. Even many Bible scholars agree the archaeology for the Exodus is lacking. So must our belief in the Exodus rest on blind faith alone? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on Evidence and Answers, Pat will reveal the latest discoveries that bring new evidence and insights into this major biblical narrative. Now with part two of Examining the Exodus is our host, Pat Zucran. Now we've been talking about the Exodus, how most modern scholars view it as a legendary account, but recent archaeological studies and discoveries build a strong case that this is indeed a historical account. And indeed, there are tremendous ramifications if the exodus is true or not true. If the exodus is not true, there are tremendous ramifications regarding the historical integrity of the Old Testament and the New Testament and indeed the deity of Christ. For he quotes and refers to the exodus account and mosaic authorship of the first five books of the Bibles numerous times throughout the New Testament. And if Jesus was wrong, well, God can't be wrong then his deity would be in question as well. So it's important to examine the evidence for the Exodus. And in the previous show, we studied how, indeed, a migration of Jews or Hebrews to the land of Egypt and Joseph's rise to power. The historical evidence is there to make this a very plausible case. Now, the book of Exodus opens with this scenario. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Now remember, the Hyksos kings were Asiatic migrants, most likely Canaanites, who entered Egypt in the 18th century B.C., Eventually, they grew powerful and took over the rule of Egypt. The 15th to 17th dynasties of Egypt are known as the Hyksos dynasties, which last from about 1650 to about 1550 BC, a little over 100 years. And it's under the rule of the Hyksos, these foreign Semites, that Joseph ascended to power and the Hebrews lived in peace and flourished in the land of Egypt. Well, in 1550 BC, the pharaoh from southern Egypt named Amos came up to the north, defeated the Hyksos rulers, and expelled them from the land of Egypt. And he begins the 18th dynasty. It begins with Amos, who defeats and expels the Hyksos and reunifies northern and southern Egypt. You see, at this time, northern Egypt, the Nile Delta region, was ruled by these foreign Hyksos rulers. And it's Amos who defeats them and reunites the land of Egypt. And it's Pharaoh Amos, recorded in Egyptian records, who had a hatred for these Asiatic migrants in Egypt because of the Hyksos and what they had done. So to prevent another group of foreigners like the Hyksos 
from taking over Egypt, he reinforces the eastern border of Egypt, putting military outposts along the Red Sea and the eastern border of the Nile to keep the Asiatics out of the land of Egypt. And after building his eastern border, he turns his concern now to foreigners who are dwelling in the land. Now, to control them, he begins the slavery of the foreigners and puts them to work on government projects, building store cities for the empire. And it is during this time the Egyptians regularly raided the lands of Canaan and Syria to capture slaves to bring to Egypt. You see, at this time, Egypt ruled over the area of Canaan. Now, they would capture slaves and bring them to Egypt. They did this not only to acquire slaves, but to control the population of Canaan and Syria. It's at this time, the population of Canaan, we know, drops approximately 75%. And since the pharaohs of the 18th dynasty were concerned with keeping the population of foreigners down, the command in Exodus 1.16 to throw Hebrew newborn boys into the Nile becomes a very plausible scenario. Now, in the Old and Middle Kingdom, that's the dynasties before Amos and the 18th dynasty, in the Old and Middle Kingdoms of Egypt, forced labor was mostly for agricultural and domestic use. Now, in the New Kingdom here, in 1550 BC, which lasts to about 1200 BC, Egypt's kings brought back many slaves from their conquests of Syria and Canaan. And instead of agriculture, many of them were forced into these great building projects of the pharaohs of Egypt. A scene in the tomb chapel of the vizier Rechmeyer, dated 1450 BC, shows foreign slaves making bricks for the workshop store places of the temple of Amun at Karnak. The Louvre Leather Scroll, a 13th century BC document, records that a quota of 2,000 bricks was required of the slaves. And this is consistent with Exodus 5.8, which states that the Israelites had a quota of bricks to make. Now, Exodus chapter 1, verses 13 to 14 states, the Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Now, in a painting in the tomb of Mina, a scribe for Pharaoh Tuthmosis IV, it depicts an overseer beating a slave with a whip while another begs for mercy. So it appears that the conditions described in Exodus 1 match the historical state of Egypt at the beginning of the 18th dynasty. The foreign Hyksos kings were expelled by Amos, who would fit the profile of the pharaoh that arose in Egypt, who Exodus 1.8 states, a pharaoh who did not know the name of Joseph. Coming from southern Egypt, he would not have known of Joseph and how Joseph saved Egypt during the time of famine. Pharaoh Amos enslaves foreigners and treats them harshly, matching the condition the Hebrews find themselves in according to Exodus 1. Thus, the stage for the Exodus is set. Now we come to the date of the Exodus, and this is really critical, because if you get the date right, the pieces seem to fall in place nicely. If you go with perhaps what may be the incorrect date, 
Then the archaeology and the biblical account, there seems to be a lot of problems there. Bible scholars and archaeologists propose three possible dates for the Exodus. The first one that we call the early date of the Exodus is held by most conservative Bible scholars. This is the early date of 1446 B.C. Then we have what's called the late date of the Exodus, held by most Bible scholars here. We'll hold to this one. The date of 1260 B.C. Then we have a third date called the middle date. All right, And this date is 1406 B.C. So to discover the date, I'm going to be looking at the Bible and the archaeology to see which date has the strongest support of the evidence of both the archaeology and the Bible. Now, those who argue for the early date, 1446 B.C., arrive at this date from two key passages in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 6.1 states that 480 years pass between the Exodus and the fourth year of Solomon's reign. Now, we know that Solomon ruled from 971 to 931 B.C., so this would place the date of the Exodus at about 1446 B.C. And another passage comes from Judges 11.26. In this passage, the Israelite judge Jephthah, in a dispute with the Ammonites, informed them that Israel had been in the land for nearly 300 years. Now, Jephthah ruled the land we believe in about 1100 B.C. When you add 300 years, you arrive at about 1400 B.C. Therefore, if the Exodus occurred in 1446 B.C., remember it's followed by 40 years of wandering in the desert, the initial stage of the conquest would be about 1406 B.C., and this would match the timeline presented in these two passages of 1 Kings 6.1 and Judges 11.26. Now, once again, I don't expect you to memorize all this stuff listening on the radio, I encourage you to go to my website, evidenceandanswers.org, and read the article, The Exodus Examine, and, and you can get all these facts, or you can once again listen to this show and take your time as you're listening, getting down all these facts. Now, most archaeologists and biblical scholars today seem to favor the later date of the Exodus, around 1260 B.C., the key passage for this date is Exodus 1.11, which mentions that the Israelites built the cities of Python and Ramses. Now, according to Egyptian records, Dynasty 19 is the Ramses dynasty. It is concluded that the city of Ramses in this passage was most likely dedicated to Ramses II, who ruled from 1290 to 1230 B.C., and most archaeologists believe that the Israelites entered Canaan then about 1230 or 1220 B.C. Now, there are problems with the early date and the late date here. Each date of the Exodus has its challenges. Now, let's first take a look at the challenges for the late date of the Exodus, which is 1260 B.C. First, this date does not match up with the biblical chronology given to us in 1 Kings 6.1 and Judges 11.26, which seem to be pointing to the 1446 date. Now, another discovery that favors an earlier date is the Merneptah Stele. Pharaoh Merneptah invaded the land of Canaan in 1220 B.C. The Merneptah Stele is an inscription. It's a big black basalt victory plaque, and it's dated... 1210 BC and it describes his victory over the cities of Canaan and this is the first mention outside the Bible 
of the nation of Israel. So this is the first extra-biblical artifact that mentions the Israelites in the land of Canaan. And in this stele, Merneptah mentions that the Israelites were already established in the land when he confronted them. In this inscription, Israel is not identified as a city-state or a kingdom, but as a people group. In other words, at this time, Israel was a loose confederation of tribes without a central government or capital city. And this fits the description of Israel during the time of the judges. Also, it's important to know that Egypt regularly launched military campaigns into Canaan for centuries. In Egyptian records, there are what we call the Nine Bows, which are the nine main perennial enemies of the Egyptians in Canaan. The Merneptah Stele shows that Israel was in the land for a significant period of time because Israel is mentioned as one of the nine bows or regular perennial enemies of Egypt. In other words, Israel had been in there for enough time to have established themselves as one of the regular perennial enemies, one of the main enemies, the nine bows that the Egyptians conquered. Joseph Holden states, Israel's listing along with the other established cities in biblical lands implies that Israel was comparable in importance and not an insignificant wandering tribe of Bedouins. The dating of Israel's presence in the land supplied the Merneptah Stele, supplied by the Merneptah Stele, fits well with the timing of the exodus from Egypt and the subsequent conquest of Canaan in about 1400 BC. So it seems highly unlikely that Israel could invade the land of Canaan in about 1220 B.C. or maybe 1230 B.C. and in just a few years establish themselves in the land and further become identified as one of the nine bows or perennial enemies of Egypt all within a decade or so. So I believe the late date is possible, but we have a lot of problems here. Now let's take a look at the early date of 1446 B.C., now, not only this early date of 1446 B.C., but also the late date of 1260 B.C. of the Exodus, both face some serious difficulties. First, as mentioned in the prior section, with plagues that ravaged Egypt, the loss of a massive working force getting plundered of their treasure and the loss of their army and their pharaoh, we would expect the collapse of the Egyptian empire. However, the 18th dynasty from 1560 to about 1400 was at the height of its power at this time. During this period, Egypt actually extended its territory from not only the Nile, but all the way to the Euphrates. So if the exodus occurred in 1446 BC, that is during the time of Pharaoh Amenhotep II. This is when Egypt was at its height it was at its golden age, and it had expanded its territory farther than ever before. And it had become a great empire, controlling not only the Nile Valley, but the Levant all the way to the Euphrates River. Now, the late date has its problem as well. Remember, when you have plagues that ravaged Egypt and the loss of Pharaoh's army and Pharaoh himself, you would expect that to seriously affect the Egyptian empire. Now, Ramses II ruled from 1279 to about 1212 B.C. He is considered the greatest pharaoh of the 19th dynasty. 
Now, during his rule, Egypt did not suffer any loss of power as well. Ramses II built great monuments that have been discovered. He fought in several battles against the Hittites up there in southern Turkey, northern Syria, and other nations, and made several international treaties. In fact, Pharaoh Merneptha, who followed Ramses II, did not experience a serious decline in power either. In fact, he led several military campaigns into Canaan and wrote of his victories. His most famous inscription we talked about, the Merneptha Stele, which records his victory over the Canaanite nations, including the nation of Israel. Another significant problem for both dates, the early date and the late date, is the city of Jericho. According to Joshua 6, Jericho was a mighty walled fortress. However, excavations at Jericho by Kathleen Kenyon in the 1950s revealed that the city of Jericho was abandoned from 1550 to about 1200 B.C. Now, Kenyon's study of the pottery revealed the city was destroyed in the Middle Bronze Age. So if the exodus occurred in 1446 B.C. or 1260 B.C., 40 years of wandering in the desert when Joshua arrived at Jericho, it would have been a deserted ruin. However, recent excavations at Jericho have revealed that the city was destroyed during the Middle Bronze Age. About 2000 to 1550 BC is the date of the Middle Bronze Age. So it was destroyed during that time. However, Recent archaeological discoveries have shown there was a walled town at the site of Jericho dating to the 14th century BC. So it was occupied and fortified during what we call the Late Bronze Age Period 2. So during the Late Bronze Age 2, from 1400 to 1300 BC, that city was a walled, fortified city and occupied. Then it was destroyed and abandoned from the late Bronze Age, 1300 to 1200. It was indeed destroyed and abandoned. So the early date of the Exodus has trouble with Jericho, but so does the late date of the Exodus. Because according to those conquest dates of 1406 BC and 1220 BC, Jericho was an abandoned city. Well, is there another alternative date? that would match the biblical timeline and the archaeology? I believe there is. Now there is the third date for the Exodus we call the middle date and this is the one that I believe should be considered. This would be 1406 BC and when you take this date the biblical and archaeological evidence seems to come together like pieces of a puzzle. So let's first take a look at the biblical evidence. 1 Kings 6.1 states that the exodus occurred 480 years before Solomon began building the temple in the fourth year of his reign. Now Solomon's reign begins in 970 BC and four years later would be 966 BC. This leads to a date of the exodus at 446 BC, which seems to pose a problem for the middle date of 1406 BC. However, the number 480 years comes from what we call the Masoretic text of the Old Testament. The Masoretic text is the Hebrew text that is used by most of our English translation. This text dates from around the 10th century AD. Now there is another text called the Septuagint. This is the Greek translation of the Old Testament and was written in the 3rd century BC. So it predates the Masoretic text by over a thousand years.
And in 1 Kings 6.1, the Septuagint reads, And it happened in the 440th year of the departure of the sons of Israel from Egypt, in the fourth year, in the second month, when King Solomon reigned over Israel. So the Septuagint says, not 480 years, but 440 years. The 440-year reading brings us to an Exodus date of 1406 B.C. Now, one objection raises this. If Jacob entered Egypt during the rule of the Hyksos, which is about 1650 to 1550 B.C., there's a chronological problem with the middle and early dates of the Exodus. Because Exodus 1240 states, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. So if Jacob entered Egypt during the time of the Hyksos rule, which began in 650 B.C., 430 years would put the Exodus at the earliest, 1220 B.C. Now, how is this problem resolved? Well, the answer is found once again in the Septuagint. Remember, this is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which predates the Masoretic text by nearly a thousand years. And it states, Now the residents of the sons of Israel, during which they dwelt in the land Egypt and in the land of Canaan, was 430 years. Therefore, the 430 years would extend from Abraham to Israel's sojourn in Egypt. If this is the case, Abraham to Jacob is about 250 years. Then Jacob migrates to Egypt and the Hebrews remain there for another 215 years. So if we look at the math, the chronology fits. The Hyksos reigned from approximately 1650 to 1550 BC. If Jacob entered Egypt in the late 17th century BC, a 215 year sojourn in Egypt would bring us to an approximate date of the mid to late 15th century BC date for the Exodus. Now, I believe the Septuagint reading of the Exodus on Exodus 12:40 and Judges 6:1 is indeed the correct reading for the following reasons. First, the Septuagint is written in the 3rd century B.C. and predates the Masoretic text, which was written in the 10th century A.D. Second, Jesus and Paul, when quoting the Old Testament, quote from the Septuagint version of the Old Testament. Third, Paul writes in Galatians 3:16 and 17, he states, The law of God came 430 years after Abraham. In other words, it was 430 years from Abraham to Moses. Paul here is referring to the Septuagint reading of the Exodus 1240. Finally, Josephus. Josephus is a first century Jewish historian, right? And he wrote in his book, The Antiquity of the Jews. He talks and he has that famous mention of Jesus and the apostles in his writing. And he also talks about how the Romans conquered and destroyed the land of Israel. But he states also that the time from Jacob's migration to Egypt and to the Exodus was 215 years. So we can conclude that there is a strong biblical support for the Exodus date of 1406 BC. Now, does the archaeology match up with this date? The date of the Exodus is critical because with the correct date... The biblical account and the archaeology seem to synchronize with one another nicely. They seem to come together like pieces of a puzzle. There is indeed a catastrophic collapse of an Egyptian dynasty that we are looking for. 
there are Near Eastern documents, inscriptions, and archaeological discoveries that support an Exodus account. So now that we have the date of the Exodus, let's take a look at the archaeological evidence for the Exodus. Now when we come back, we're going to look at the archaeological evidence for the Exodus. And if you take the 1406 date of the Exodus, I think there is a lot of archaeology that builds a strong case for the Exodus. And the pieces of the puzzle seem to fit together nicely. I know you listening on the radio here, maybe this is the first time you're hearing these facts, and there's a lot of facts to absorb. Well, I encourage you to go to my website, evidenceandanswers.org, and you can take your time re-listening to this show, along with other great interviews on the Exodus, and carefully read my article, The Exodus Examine, and take your time as you look at several of these facts. But I believe once we start with the correct date, I think the archaeology is going to fit together very nicely to build a strong case for this wonderful event we know as the Exodus. So when we come back, we're going to study some of the fascinating archaeology that I believe builds a good case for indeed this event of the Exodus. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcast, like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You will also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran. Hey, 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 hey.